Hi, I'm Katrina Daniel, and welcome to Primetime Crime, a podcast for people who want to know what goes on behind the scenes of the most notorious trending crime stories and what's going on in the minds of those involved in those stories. What are the detectives, the judges, the defense attorneys, and the prosecutors thinking? You'll hear it all on Primetime Crime, the podcast. This is Primetime Crime. I'm Katrina Daniel, and I'm guessing you're feeling the same way many of I and my co-workers and friends do. It just seems like we're surrounded by skyrocketing crime rates and especially violent crimes. More than 30 police officers around the country were shot just last month. Domestic violence rates are way up. What is causing all this havoc and chaos and death? Some answers from my next interviewee. Dr. Alexis Becquero, he's head of the sociology department at the University of Miami, Florida. He's studying these seemingly answerless questions. He is a criminologist, here to talk with us about how and why this is happening. My special guest today, and we are honored to have you with us, thanks so much for taking part in this, is Dr. Alexis Piquero, who is head of the sociology department at the University of Miami, and he's also a criminologist. So tell me exactly what the definition of a criminologist is. Yeah, I study um, patterns of crime, uh, why they go up and why they go down. And I also study reasons why people get involved in crime, why people persist in crime, why some people stop committing crime. And I also uh, study crime policies and prevention programs. So what works, what doesn't work. And I advise um, county, state, national, uh, international officials and government agencies on best approaches to crime policy that follow the evidence. We wanna to talk to you about the trends. It seems to me, amateurs such as Carmen, my producer and myself, it seems like crime is raging almost out of control. Is it just that we're seeing bad news all the time? So fair question. I think that there are two stories here. The first one is we are no more violent now than what we were 40 years ago. In fact, crime really? rates in the United States, violent crime and property crime, have been declining since the 1990s in most states and in the United States overall. So that's the trend. 2020 and 2021, as you all know, has been two years of a very strange blip in our lives. Correct. What we have seen with respect to crime is towards the end of the first quarter of 2020, throughout the second and third quarter of the year and into 2021, uh, most large cities in the United States saw an increase in violent crime, especially homicide. In about 33 different cities in 2020 and into 2021, we saw significant spikes in violence and especially homicide. Some cities towards the end of 2021 started to buck that trend. Dallas and Miami are, are two good examples of large cities that actually reduced their 2020 increases uh, at, towards the end of 2021. But yes, we are a little bit more violent now than when we were right before the pandemic, but we're not more violent now than we were in the 1980s uh, during the crack epidemic that all of us lived through. I will also say that it's hard to predict what next year will hold. I mean, the trends have started to go down a bit, but you know that since you are been in this field for a long time, Katrina, that um, you know if it bleeds, it leads. 
And yep. the, first, yep. the first five stories on my local news station and in the national broadcast are either COVID, uh, the Ukraine situation, or homicide rates and shootings. And, you know, it's real. It's, it happens in big cities. It happens in small cities. It happens in college campuses and high school campuses. It affects people's lives. Um, but what we don't want as a criminologist, and, in, you know, I'm, and I also take my criminologist hat off, and I'm a regular person like anybody else is, uh, and I talk to my elderly parents about this. We don't want people to be alarmed. We want people just to be cautious about what's going on, um, but to, to realize that it's, it's not worse now than what it was, though the tendency always is that things are so much worse now than what they were, this doesn't help matters much. Correct. I understand social media. And I think it creates a lot of copycats. And I also think it gives some people who may be on the fence the okay to go ahead and call in a bomb threat to a middle school or something equally stupid. Yeah, you know, people, um, one of the interesting things about being a criminologist is you try to understand why people do what they do. And for, for some people, you can understand the rationale and that makes a lot of sense. For some people, you can't understand the rationale. And then they have this moment five days later or five minutes later and say, that was a bad decision. Uh, or I don't know why I did that. And so, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to adjudicate who the people are who are doing things for nefarious reasons and who really want to hurt people, as opposed to the people who aren't doing them for nefarious reasons and may not necessarily have that kind of a for a for a forethought and intent. Um, that's harder to do than it is easier to do. What do you make of the really rapid rise of hate crimes against Asians, which surprisingly and sadly seems to be carried out some by homeless people and some by members of the of the black community? What what's going on with that? Yeah, so a couple a couple of thoughts on the hate crime. I saw NBC News reported this a couple of days ago based on some data from a, a research center out in California. One thing I want to caution against is that hate crime data are not required to be produced by police departments to the FBI. So every year you have a different percentage of agencies reporting hate crime data and they don't all collect it the same way. So there is a significant reporting problem about what those numbers look like in general. I'm not saying that there's not an increase. I'm saying that it's a number and you, we all have to understand how that number gets populated. That aside, I do not think that when the coronavirus hit the United States in the first part of 2020, that the statements attributed by some of our former leaders about it being the Chinese virus or the Wuhan flu, I don't think that helped matters much because what it did is it gave people a target and someone to blame for why this thing was happening. And the unfortunate byproduct of that was that we saw a reported increase in attacks on Asian Americans. Some in the middle of broad daylight, there was one I saw in Manhattan in the middle of the afternoon. Yep. Uh, so they're very brazen. And we have been living in the last four and a half to five years in at least in my lifetime, an extremely politicized world where it's either you're on this team or you're on this team. 
And that has gone into um, politics with respect to the virus, vaccines, masking, politics, yeah. and just about any kind of level. And I had hoped that when the virus first came on board and we all went into lockdown in March of 2020, um, that there would be some good to come out of this. You know, none of us wanted to go through what we went through and are still going through. All of us had things taken from us. You know, almost a million people are dead. Here in my home state of Florida, there's 60, 66, 67,000 people. That's, that's, that's everybody who fits in the Hard Rock Stadium where the Miami Dolphins play a game. It's like taking every one of those bodies and saying they're no longer sitting in that chair and never will. And I think people lose sight of the fact that the toll this has taken on all of us our kids and the mental health toll it's taken on on a lot of people and the reverberations that will happen over many many years women not going back to the workforce at rates that they were back in kids losing a year of school yeah. and everything else that has gone wrong i thought that we would have been more of a collective society to bring us together that we're really all in this and i remember what it was like on 9 11. I flew on 910, uh, and I remember that flight vividly because I the whole cockpit door was wide open on that flight home, like I was for when we were flew all the time. And the week before that, I was in New York City having you know food at the top of the World Trade Center. And I remember what 9-11 was like because it brought the United States together. Correct. Like in, yeah. like in no yeah. way I've ever, at least in my lifetime, I have yeah. ever seen before. And I thought we would have come out of that coronavirus experience and still to this day there are people arguing about masks and critical race theory and vaccines and it's like people what has happened to our sense of of collectiveness and our our, our belief in the decency of human beings and we can disagree but not you know vilify one another over disagreeing about things so i'm a i'm an optimistic person um, but I've been very pessimistic by the way my fellow human beings have treated one another, unfortunately, the past couple of years. It's bit simplistic of me to believe the fact that people have been quarantined in their homes or way more isolated than they used to be, that they're just spending too much time in their own heads. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very fair comment and observation, Katrina. I mean, none of us have gone through a lockdown like that. There's no, right. there's no book on my shelf that right. says, this is what you do during a lockdown. Right. Um, you know, none of us have experienced that before. And yeah, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety. People lost their jobs. People lost their lives. People lost their loved ones. You know, we saw record alcohol sale uh, re increases in terms of receipts. We saw increases in ER visits to opioid disorders um, oh. and overdoses. We saw an increase in gun sales. We saw an increase of people fighting in a Walmart over the fact that they had to wear a mask. I mean, just stuff that it's, 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 it's mind boggling to me. It really is. That people got stuff taken away from them that they became used to having and yeah. then haven't figured out how to deal with this. And how to deal with this is if we all just do what we're supposed to do, we can deal with this and move on with our lives and not have this sort of Damocles having over our heads. So yeah, I see the stress and anxiety all the time. I see people being short with people uh, and curt with people. 
all the time. And you and, you know, Carmen know as well as I do and everybody else that, you know, tomorrow's not given for any of us, for anything. And we need to remind ourselves very carefully about the privilege that we have not only to live in the United States, but that we're here to live another day. Yep. I've traveled pretty much all over the world and I always remember, and I'm German, I'm from Germany. I go, God, you know, I've been all over and the United States is so much better, but boy, we are seriously stupid these days. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like you, I mean, I've, I, I've been fortunate enough through my career to travel the world, um, to China, to Israel, to all over Europe, Australia, all over the place. And every time I land back in the United States, I'm, I'm home. It doesn't matter if I'm flying in yep. O'Hare or LAX or DFW or LaGuardia. It doesn't matter to me. You just have that sense of peacefulness because I know what I have here. You know, Safety and security. And we, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you don't have it and you travel the world and you see the way other people don't live and have the privileges that we have, the, the, the fact that we can right. say just about anything in, the, in this country and have disagreements civilly, you know, it, we're very, very fortunate to, to have that. But we also, you know, sometimes people put that aside and act on the spur of the moment and don't think about the long-term consequences of their actions and how we need to think about how we make this place better than what we left it. And that's what we should be in the business of doing in every, whatever our job is, or whatever our particular career is in this world. I work with journalists every day. I mean, every day I work with journalists, TV, print, radio. And I enjoy vehemently working with them because they're trying to, to do the best job they can to report what they can report to the world. And, and I believe in, it, in as best a possible way as, as they can. And our democracy rests on journalists bringing the news to the world. What has happened now yep. is that now people are filtering out the news they want to hear. And right. so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that, oh, well, this is the way it is. Well, it's only the way it is because that's all I'm going to listen to. And, right. you know, I remember, I remember thinking back to when I was in Dallas before I moved to Miami, back when I, I went to the gym every day. Uh, and my gym was great. There was CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, ESPN, the Weather Channel, and the local CBS station. So everybody had everything. And I literally would watch, because I wanted to be ed educated, how each of the different stations reports the first thing at the top of the hour. And it's very interesting because the news might be the same, but the spin is a bit different. And if we're only focused on a message or the messaging, then we're hurting ourselves. And I say this to my students all the time. We live in a marketplace of ideas. You need to look at all of the ideas and be challenged and, and, and be, be comfortable with being uncomfortable with being challenged with what you believe. That's how your mind grows and develops. Let's go back to crime just for a minute. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the wave of shoplifting. Mm -hmm. I mean, people walking past security guards with grocery carts and, and stuff from Target, from Walmart, and, and just walking out and stealing it. How the hell is that happening? A, a brazen lack of concern for the rule of law. And I want to believe that that is temporary. I do believe that in a in few more months and maybe by the middle part of this year that a, a, hopefully a lot of the pandemic will be turning into an endemic and we'll be able to deal with this a little bit better moving forward. 
But remember also, Katrina, a lot of people stop seeing their counselors, their mental health therapy sessions, their regular practitioners over the last couple of years. There's a lot of stuff that's here that we don't know about and people are lashing out, whether it's in you know our report that was covered by the New York Times showing domestic violence increase during pandemic lockdowns, the yeah. increases we're seeing in aggravated assaults and shootings, yeah. you know, the way people are treating each other in the, in the grocery store, the lack of rudeness, the shoplifting, that's, that's aggression. And its manifestation is outpouring into the world. And I got to believe yeah. that we're, we're sli slightly turning the corner from what I can see in, in the look on data, on real-time data. But, you know, we'll see what happens in the next few months. What do your students go on to be? What, uh, what occupations do they embrace? You know, I'm, I'm fortunate at the University of Miami to have ex really exceptional students. I mean, they're, they're crazy bright, much brighter than I was when I was an 18-year-old kid, that's for sure. The majority of our students go either to graduate school or to law school. Um, and I find that now, and a lot of them, um, very different from when I was in school a long time ago, they want to have a sense of purpose. To them, it's less about cha-ching, cha-ching, I want a lot yep. of money in my life, but yep. more about what can I do to move the needle? Remember, they've also grown up during a lot of, of social movements and protests and things that are resonate to them and are real to them. So the fact that they want to go out and be change agents is a good thing. You know, it's hard, as you know, to move the needle uh, on a good day in the political world. And I always encourage them the local level is where change really matters. And that's where you can move the needle. And so a lot of them really care about, you know, the environment. A lot of them care about, you know, yeah. politics. A lot of them care about homelessness. Um, yeah. You know, they're passionate about the world's ills. And so the more we can encourage them to be those kinds of change agents, the better off we'll be. Thank you so very much for your time. I hope we can call on you again in the future because you're terrific to talk to and you know your stuff. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Primetime Crime, the podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Primetime Crime and on Instagram and Twitter at Primetime Crime underscore. Post your comments and tell us what true crime stories you'd like to hear about. Subscribe to Primetime Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Thanks a lot.